Well, welcome to the UALC podcast. I'm Brody Taphorn. I'm here with my co-host, Andrea Taphorn. We work at Upper Arlington Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio. And today we are talking about the theology of the cross. Yeah, the theology of the cross isn't something that you might hear every day, but we thought this was an important topic to talk about today, especially in our time of quarantine and world pandemic, that this is a time where we can get tripped up a little bit and think that we might need to kind of figure out how to win this or how to conquer a day or even a week or... Uh, This whole thing, we can really get tripped up in this in Christianity. Sometimes I feel like we in the church uh, have this up and to the right mentality that everything's puppy dogs and rainbows and that uh, even when our lives aren't reflecting uh, a winning reality, we have to give people the perception of it. And the theology of the cross comes in and says, it's not actually what Christianity is about. And so today we've got a special guest. Steve Turnbull is the senior pastor of Upper Arlington Lutheran Church. Steve uh, received a Master's of Divinity from Luther Theological Seminary, as well as a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from Duke University. Steve has taught seminary classes on the theology of the cross, amongst other things. And we are excited to hear what he has to say today. Steve, it is so good to have you here to have this conversation. I've been, we have been anxiously looking forward to speaking about this topic of the theology of the cross. But before we get into all of that, we would like to know, how is Team Turnbull getting along in the pandemic these days? Oh man, Thank, thanks for asking. And I just want to echo back to you. I've been looking forward to this too, and I'm glad to be here. You know, I, uh, we're up and down like everybody else, um, and I think it's even hard to comment on how Team Turnbull is doing because on any given day, one might be up and one might be down, uh, but uh, we're, we're doing all right. Uh, one of the things I'm experiencing, I think, uh, in this time that's just been so great for me has been learning to admire my kids more. Like, I love what I'm seeing in them, the way that they're growing, they're facing new challenges. Every, every school kid in America is facing different challenges. I think everyone in America is facing different challenges than they did before. And to see them take some tough ones, uh, but also learn new skills and rise to the challenge, I just, uh, I'm appreciating, admiring, and respecting them probably even more than I did before. It's a joy. That's great. That's great. Yeah. As parents, that's such a wonderful perspective to have. Yeah. And now we're going to make the hard pivot into the cross. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, hard left turn, right? Hard left turn here. We, we're going to start the conversation by talking about the visual symbol of the cross. Uh, that is, it is the quintessential symbol of Christianity, but the cross was a cruel and unusual instrument of punishment, uh, torture, death by the Roman Empire. It was reserved for the worst of the worst, rebellious slaves, violent criminals, That's right. Uh, Those who threaten the political system and the power of the day. So take a moment and talk about how did the symbol of the cross become the rallying symbol of our faith? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. I sort of had an experience of thinking about that or coming to a realization about that personally. Maybe 10 plus years ago, I was in a shoe store shopping for shoes for my kids when they were little. Uh, Amy was there, I promise. She'd never sent me on that kind of task. No, that's trust that I should not be entrusted with. 
But uh, we were in the shoe store, and all around the, the border of the ceiling on the walls were, like, the names of the brands that were up there, and I couldn't even tell you what most of them were. But they had, um, but they had their names written out. And there was one shoe brand that didn't have a name written out. It just had a symbol, and it was the, the swoosh. It was the Nike swoosh. And you don't have to say Nike. It's like everyone in the world knows what that brand represents. And I remember thinking, see, seeing that and thinking to myself, what could that be for Christianity? Is there some visual symbol that would just immediately evoke, oh, that's Christianity, that's the people of Jesus? And then, I don't know, I think when I asked that question, I was thinking that maybe we should think of one. And then it occurred to me, oh, that's the cross, that's, what, that's the symbol. And that is a remarkable thing. And we just take that far too much for granted, that the cross was, uh, as you said, a instrument of torture. It was an instrument of capital punishment. Uh, I think some people would probably rightly say it was an instrument of terrorism. It was the Roman Empire's way of saying to people, don't you ever, ever mess with us or we will do this to you. And I can say more about that later if we, if we kind of get back to that. But it's, it was a terrible thing. And yet somehow the Christians began to claim this as their central visual symbol. And that's just amazing. One of the earliest uh, visual representations of the cross comes from uh, a piece of graffiti. It's a, an artistic drawing. Well, not, it's certainly not that artistic, but it's a, it's a drawing from uh, a place in the ancient Roman Empire. I think it dates to the second century. And it's got a picture of a cross. Uh, and on the cross is a, um, uh, a donkey's head turned sideways. And it has been drawn there by someone who's mocking the Christians. And it says, uh, Alexander, which must be the name, uh, archaeologists believe it must have been the name of a Christian in that time and place. It says, Alexander worships his God, and there is a donkey on a cross. And what, what this shows us is that already at this very early time, people recognized that Christians were people of the cross and that this was, this was a ridiculous thing. You could literally ridicule it. That, that couldn't, who would do that? Who would worship someone who was crucified? And one thing, to, maybe a couple things to my mind, is it really does demonstrate the centrality of Christ crucified to the Christian faith, that they would be claiming this thing that was so ridiculous uh, in their own era. And it also, to my mind, is one more piece of evidence for the truth of what happened to Jesus, to his crucifixion and his resurrection, that nobody would have made that up. If you were going to make up some religion, if you were going to try to make some power play, this is about the last thing that you would ever do. Uh, and yet it was char characteristically true of them to the extent that other people could make fun of them for it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That is amazing. I, I think that you hit on something that the cross is so ridiculous. It's, and it's so um, hor horrible, horrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, as we delve into this topic, thinking about the theology of the cross, one of the things that I think about is, is it exposes me in a way that I don't like. And I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a certain historical sense in which uh, exposure was the issue. They were, um, the Romans thought they were exposing one kind of thing. They were exposing that you were a failure. They were exposing you physically in a very literal sort of way. Uh, and even exposing you to the elements that not only was the victim of crucifixion, uh, up on a cross for everyone to see, and so that was the exposure. That was crucifixion. I mean, half the point of it is how public it was. They would do it at the intersection of roads where people would have to come by and see so that the power of Rome would be on great display. It would be, it'd be the glory of Rome, uh, the glory of the empire. 
which then Paul, in his epistles, paradoxically turns and says, this is where the glory of God is revealed in this, in this paradoxical, counterintuitive sort of way. Um, I think maybe the thing that it exposes about us, and I don't know, Andrea, maybe what you're asking about in particular, but one thing certainly that it exposes is our own, um, our own human weakness, that when we, we will come up against things in life, forces of evil, if you will, uh, forces, powers that are stronger than us, and that could be a lot of different things. And when we claim the cross as the symbol of our faith, I think we are admitting, I in myself am not the strongest thing around. I, I can't turn to the resources inside of me and say, I will overcome any force, any temptation, any power, any virus, any pandemic, any fear, that's in, that the strength for that is inside of me. It's actually, it doesn't come from me. It can be given to me by God. I will trust in the power of God, but I don't bring that power to the table. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, Steve, for the sake of our audience, I did not grow up in the Lutheran Church, and so it has taken me some time to kind of understand the Lutheran Church brings some unique things to the Christian table, uh, ways of looking at things. The theology of the cross uh, was something that Martin Luther started talking about in the 1500s. Could you just give us a quick 101? What is the theology of the cross? Um, yeah, that's yeah, a, that's speak a to that question. for a minute. I think it's a way of saying that we're going to come and enter into our thinking about God through God's own chosen revelation of Jesus and Jesus most centrally revealed in his cross. And so it means coming to God. Um, some people like to say that uh, you asked about Lutheran theology, that Lutheran theology is um, theology done from underneath. <laughs> it's not uh, done from a position of advantage and comfort and peace, but it's theological thinking done from a position of vulnerability and maybe even affliction and finding out who God is when that's the truth about life. And uh, it doesn't just mean we make up the God that we need there, but we find in the stories of Scripture, in the, hist in the history of how God has revealed himself to us in Christ, that that is exactly how God has made himself known to us. Uh, Jesus, uh, although he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he lowered himself and became human, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's where God chose most clearly to reveal himself to us. And as people who know that there are such things as affliction in life, who know that there is the experience of chaos in life and stuff that doesn't always make sense, and we're not always, well, we're rarely the strongest force around. Uh, thanks be to God that God would not just stand on a hill far away and say, hey, I hope it's uh, good for y'all over there, and if you can make it over here, it'll be even better, but comes right down into the valley with us and pulls us out, and thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. As you say that, I was thinking, too, that one of the things that has struck me as I've been thinking about the theology of the cross is just how much, as I was talking about what it exposes in me, is just my inability to know who God is without Christ. And that, especially in the, cro in the cross, I can see the fact that in my own capacity, I am the person that nailed Jesus to the cross. That in, it is an illusion to think that I can find God on my own that rather God finds me in the cross. There's a, there's a way of thinking about God that I think people uh, tend to fall into, which is identifying things that we think are good or we think are strong or we admire, and then just multiplying those things out to the nth degree and saying God is the most of all that kind of thing. He's more uh, than we could ever imagine. And I think that's true. 
But the real weakness in that idea uh, or that way of thinking is that we start with something in us, which is going to be inevitably flawed, and then magnify that out to the nth degree <laughs> and put that on God. And if you would take something that's even a little bit dangerous or flawed and then magnify it to the power of God, <laughs> you're going to wind up with something that could be pretty um, dangerous as a dangerous way to think. But we learn in the theology of the cross not to create the God that we thought we wanted, but God as God himself has given himself to us. Uh, and we never would have made that up. It's not the thing any of us ever would have thought of. And that is actually, uh, I think, a pretty unique feature of Christian thinking about God. It's not unique to the Christian faith to imagine that God is powerful or that God is holy or that God is exalted. It's, it'd be almost hard to find a way of thinking about the supernatural that doesn't think that. Um, I think that's very common. But to think that the greatest person, if you will, uh, in the universe, that the creator of the universe actually took, took on flesh and then took on death into his own being and was crucified, that's what's unique. It sounded like you were going down the road of a theology of glory. Theology of glory oftentimes contrasted to a theology of the cross. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. Some yeah, more. that's that's the case. That actually that's that's very Lutheran terminology as the alternative way of knowing, a different way to think about God and a different way to experience life is sometimes called a theology of glory. And I think that can mean a lot of different things. Um, it can mean what I just said earlier about imagining what we think is good and then multiplying that out and making it real big and calling that God. Uh, or I think it can also mean uh, denying the very real uh, weakness and pain of life. It can mean a worldview that wouldn't make use of the lament psalms, for example, as we in our community have been learning to do. Uh, you don't, you're not honest about those sufferings. Uh, I think it means not accepting uh, as central the revelation of God in the cross, but trying to come at God some other way than how God has given himself to us. Yeah, so say some more about that. If So if God meets us, and this is how he reveals himself to us in the cross, what does that mean for me today? Yeah, well, it means, uh, it means a whole bunch of things, I think. Um, and one, I would say, probably the first thing that it means has to do with uh, the commitment of God, the mercy and faithfulness of God to us in our suffering. Uh, a, th a theology of glory, for example, to use the terminology Brody just used, would imagine that God is most present and the blessings of God are in our lives when things are going really well. So as long as life is up and to the right, if you know what I mean, uh, then great, now I'm blessed. But that's not at all even what Jesus called blessed, for example, in the Beatitudes. Uh, all of those statements of blessed are you when, or blessed, blessed are the, the character of life, you who are these ways, I would say you are blessed of God. Those are all the things that we don't call blessings. <laughs> we, call, we call it blessing when those things aren't true of us. Uh, so I think that's one thing that the theology of the cross means for us. And, and I could come back to this later if you want, but also note how the theology of the cross doesn't just start in Jesus' life when he's crucified. I think it's characteristic of his life throughout his life. Um, but so I think it means that sort of thing, that, that God is present to us and can be, we can experience and trust that the blessing of God is in our life, even in the midst of affliction, not only when affliction is gone. And so I think that also means that uh, we shouldn't be and don't need to be surprised in affliction. We don't need to pour on top of our own sufferings the doubt and anxiety that this must mean that God has abandoned us, and now I'm, I'm in this alone. Uh, I think that's, that's horrible. 
but rather when we encounter God through the picture of the cross, then in the midst of our suffering, we can have every confidence that God is indeed with us in those times. And we can, we can ask God, where are you? And we can cry out in honest lament, like Jesus himself did on the cross, crying out in the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's exactly what those prayers are for. But then to find out that God has actually not forsaken us, that God has come to be with us in those times. But then I also, and this is a point where I think our talk about the theology of the cross, which I think is so important, can also get off the rails a little bit. We can, we can get so in love with darkness and suffering and abandonment or something that we forget that God has actually triumphed over the grave. We continue to worship Jesus Christ crucified. As a friend of mine said once years ago, we don't worship Jesus Christ uncrucified. We worship Christ crucified and, ra- and raised again from the dead. And so the crucifixion always remains a part of Jesus, but it's not the place where he stayed, right? God did raise him from the dead. And so uh, I wouldn't ever want to give somebody only a picture of God who will suffer with you. And at some point you wind up going, well, okay, that's great. Now God's going to die too, right? And then that's, of course, not what we believe. So we know a God who came into the darkness with us, into the darkness as dark as darkness gets, and then was able to bring life from the from from the darkness, was able to bring life from the dead, was able, as the beginning of the Gospel of John says, uh, shine a light in the darkness that no darkness can overcome. So it's also a deeply, deeply hopeful mm-hmm. theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to actually get in that a little deeper. Um, one of the things that we are endeavoring in this podcast is not just to satisfy our, you know, nerd interest in Lutheran theology uh, for Andrea and I, but but also to talk about where does this rubber meet the road in our personal lives and in the life of our church? So I'm wondering, how would you say the theology of the cross has had positive uh, impacts in the way that it has shaped church? Uh, and let's say first the big church, the big C church, how it is shaping our church presently uh, and how it might shape an individual's life. And then I wonder if you would contrast that with what are the negative ramifications when we lean into the theology of glory for the big C church, our church, and uh, in our personal lives? I wish I'd been taking notes. That was a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just wrap that up in five minutes yeah. or I can less. Just handle that. Yeah, <laughs> in a minute or less would be just yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I think maybe let me come at it this way, and it's maybe a little bit at a side angle to exactly the way that you asked it. But I think uh, when I think about the ways that the theology of the cross actually makes a difference in our lives, a, a couple of those I was just trying to articulate. It gives us, uh, I mean, comfort in our affliction and our suffering. It gives us hope in our affliction and our suffering. I think it gives us endurance in those times. Uh, the Bible sometimes uses the phrase long-suffering, and then we'll also translate that as patience. I listened to a sermon once many years ago on the topic of endurance, and it was uh, delivered by a, a Christian preacher or teacher whose messages I have long admired. This was an exception to that. I, I felt like this message on endurance was basically just like, hey, buck up, cowboy, be a little stronger, find it within yourself. And someone else heard that sermon uh, and said to me, this guy reminds me of my old wrestling coach. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he didn't mean that as a compliment, you know. Um, I think the theology of the cross speaks into those situations uh, with a much more deeply hopeful message that turns us to the power of God and we're sustained by his power. But I think another way that's really important that the theology of the cross shapes the life of any Christian community, and I think, uh, I do believe it has shaped our, our church in this way, and, uh, and many others too, I, I hope and I believe, 
Uh, and that is, um, well, let me put it this way. Uh, near the beginning of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, I think it's, I think it's 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul says that while I was with you, I chose to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's an amazing statement if you think about it for a little longer. And I think if you just think a little bit concretely or a little bit literally, I think we can trust that Paul did not show up in Corinth and repeat nothing but the phrase, Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ crucified. And he said other things, right? And if we wanted to get an idea of what those things would be, and it's probably not a, a perfect replication, but I think we can catch the spirit of it, we would just read that letter, the things that he then went on saying to the Corinthians in that letter. And you see him applying the message of the cross to the Corinthians in so many varied ways. I don't think I'm exaggerating by much if I would say that the Apostle Paul came to understand the cross as the answer to every question. There's a, there's a popular book right now, especially in, called, especially in Columbus. I think it's called uh, Yes is the Answer, Now What's the Question? I think it's a Cameron Mitchell book. Yeah. I, I, think, I think Paul might have said, the cross is the answer, now what's the question? Uh, and he, uh, you see him applying the message of the cross to the common life of the Corinthian Christians in a way that we could very well apply to our own lives today. That when we encounter um, a, a relationship, we encounter a decision to make, we're just trying to figure out the normal pattern of everyday life, that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus who was laying down his life for others long before he literally laid down his life on the cross. The cross becomes a pattern of self-sacrificial love for others. And I kind of already alluded to or quoted parts of that passage, that great famous passage in uh, Philippians chapter 2 in the, in the New Testament of the Christian Bible where Paul describes the, the downward voluntary, self-emptying trajectory of Jesus. He had advantages, he had privilege, he had identity with God, but didn't use that to his own advantage, but laid it aside for others, and therefore God uh, highly exalted him and gave him the name uh, that everybody would, uh, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That becomes for Paul, I think, for Paul's teaching of his communities, the Corinthians included, the master story for how to live the Christian life. And what winds up happening, and, and if you, you can see this throughout the, like I mentioned, 1 Corinthians a minute ago, he encounters every problem from church division to sexual impurity to litigation among the Christians to whether or not they should eat certain things or how they would share table fellowship, all kinds of things. And in many cases, if you were a good student of Old Testament law, and Paul was, right? He was a, he was a trained rabbi. He was a trained Pharisee. He could, he could easily have found commandments in the law to apply to these situations and tell the Corinthians how to live. Now, many of the Corinthians might have said, well, that's a funny Jewish law there, Paul. I'm actually a Greek, so what do I care? And maybe that's why, uh, maybe that's part of how Paul began to think this way. But in all these situations where he could have found a commandment in the Old Testament law, instead, he said, basically, Jesus Christ and him crucified. <laughs> Jesus has saved you by the cross. This is who God is, and now this is how you live. So just fo so follow the example of the cruciform Jesus. And then he, um, in various situations, applies that in, in many different ways, including to the situations of litigation and sexual impurity, which are not ways you normally think about the cross. But I think that's a way that we Christians have massively underestimated the application of the cross. A, a lot of us Christians have just thought that message, the, the theology of the cross, the message of the cross is, I sinned, I deserve punishment, Jesus died in my place, now I get to be saved. And there's this kind of transaction, and that's the theology of the cross. And that is a strand of the theology of the cross in the Bible. But it's a small strand compared to everything else. There's just 
it's so much richer and so much more to offer than that. Yeah, say some some more about, so you've said this is how we see God, right? We see him in the cross. We see him in vulnerability and weakness and in just this horrifying event. And, and definitely, as you said, it's not just in the cross. It is, it's how he lived his life. Yeah. Um, what does what does that mean as far as like how we should even view each other as human beings? Like I feel like it says something really important about even just humanity and the earth that maybe on our own we don't really recognize. Oh, it's true. And you're, uh, I think, unintentionally have stumbled into the story that turned my life around, actually, when my faith came alive as a teenager. I think I, you asked about how, what it, this tells us about the value of human beings, the way we value other people. And uh, I, think you're, I think you're right on about that. For me, one central question, I think maybe before I was able to wrestle adequately with that question in the way that it deserves, was understanding where my own value comes from. And like many, like many people, uh, I think, left to my own devices, I can fall pretty easily into the comparison game, trying to find my own value in how I stack up against other people. And that is a losing game no matter what happens. That is a lose, lose, lose. Uh, you're, you're always going to find someone you don't stack up very well against according to whatever categories you're using. Uh, eventually, you're going to find somebody uh, that you don't compare very favorably to. And on the off chance that that didn't happen or on the occasions where you find someone you can compare yourself to that makes you feel better about yourself, all you've done is denigrated somebody else and maybe made yourself arrogant. I mean, that's a losing game. And I remember kind of where I was sitting, and I remember how God got a hold of my heart when it dawned on me that my value was established in that the Son of God thought I was worth dying for. And if, uh, if the Son of God thought I was worth dying for, if that was the kind of love that God had for me to bring me into his family at that cost, uh, then, then I guess I must be worth something to God. And maybe my value and my identity could be found there. And the, the, the only two words that I return to over and over again to describe the result of that realization are security and freedom. And living life from a place of security and knowing who I am in God's eyes and what my identity is uh, and living free from having to establish my worth or prove myself or play that comparison game, whatever, the result of that is love, right? Because now I don't have to use you to make myself feel better. Now I don't have to I don't have to try to achieve or accomplish things or whatever, and all of which can be so self-oriented. I'm just, I'm just gathering accolades and accomplishments and using people for my own advantage or, oh, oh, no, in a way that I think we human beings can do. But I can enter into a situation and say, what can I do to make this better? How can I bless this person? How can I contribute to the good in this place? Not because I don't have needs, but because my needs are met by God already. So I've been filled up, and now I can pour out from his overflow. And I think that that, uh, you didn't ask me about my own story, and so I don't mean to make this about myself, but I think that when that happens, what now you're able to look at other people, and I think the work of the Holy Spirit then would be uh, not that God found value in me, therefore I'm the most valuable thing in all the world, but God found value in me when I didn't deserve it, when I was losing the game on my own categories. Now that creates, I think, in our hearts uh, a real compassion for other people and an ability to see in others uh, maybe their own struggles and maybe how they've fought the same battles and see their dignity and their worth 
through the eyes of God in the way that God also sees each of us. And uh, I think I think you're right on in in thinking that uh, theology of the cross helps us see other people and love other people in freedom. Special thanks to our guest, uh, Steve Turnbull, and thanks to our sound engineer, Steve Gill. We look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions, want to reach out to us at podcasts at ualc.org. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.